Welcome into the Legends Rewind podcast. I'm Rusty Ellis, joined today by former Cookville. You're a legend in my eyes, Elijah. I hope you know that. If, it, if anybody else has questions with that, I think you're a legend. Elijah Campbell, former Cookville Cavalier basketball player. Did you play any other sports? I don't know if I've ever asked you about that. None for Cookville High School. I think everything else was recreationally, uh, but <laughs> basketball is the only one that uh, I actually represented Cookville High School for. You wore, you wore the not, Cavaliers across your chest. chest. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I, I got to wear the highest the varsity uniform um, for Cookville High School, so... Uh, just basketball, but I will I will accept your tag as a <laughs> high school legend, no matter what my, I think, like seven points per game would uh, tell you. It was the best seven points we scored. Well, I think, well, I will tell you, I think, and, and this is what I always, I, I always say that legend is subjective. The reason why I think that I would consider you a legend, one, is look at where you're at now. I mean, you're from Cookville, and you're working at one of the best radio stations, not just in the state, but really in, like, this region of the country. So I mean I think I think that quali- I think that quantifies you enough as a legend as a whole considering you're from Cookville you played sports for Cookville High School you're where you're at now I think you're I think you fit the bill 100%. Hey all I take is the, the vote of one is enough for me to to convince <laughs> me. So I, I I'm bought in. I'll I'll buy in on my legend status there because of that. So let me ask you this and this is this is a loaded question I'm sure where uh, cuz I know you love sports as a whole but where did the love for basketball specifically, where, where did that begin for you? That became when I was really young, and it helped that my dad was really good. Frank Campbell uh, Jr. played, uh, was a center for York Institute in the mid-70s, all-state player, averaged like 20 points a game. My dad could really play basketball. Like he was, he was really, really good. And, of course, growing up, all I heard was, you know, you're going to play basketball like your daddy, you play, you play like your dad, and uh, – like, you know, your dad was a pretty good basketball player, too. And I was like, well, no, because he kicks my butt and horse every time we go out and play. <laughs> but my dad obviously had a love for basketball that stemmed from him playing. Mm-hmm. And it really was passed down to me. It's funny. Uh, my birth announcements are, like, instead of them being, like, little cards or whatever, mm-hmm. they're in the shape of a basketball uniform with my dad's wow. number 20 on it. And on the other side, it was, like, expect to be born March 8th. Um, uh, or no, it was born March 8th, like, um, my weight, I don't even remember what my birth weight was, but I have like, my <laughs> birth weight, Jamestown Regional Medical Center, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff on it. Um, like, my, my dad was a, a basketball lifer through and through, so obviously when I was old enough to be able to dribble basketball, he taught me how to be able to dribble a basketball, shoot a basketball. We spent most of our weekends when I was really young, at the uh, outside on the pavement at the basketball goal he put up for me when I was really little and taught me how to shoot, taught me the ins and outs of basketball. Um, eventually coached a couple of rec league teams I was in. He never coached any of like the school teams I played mm-hmm. for growing up in Jamestown. My dad was always, even when he wasn't the coach, on the way home from games and practices, he was the coach. <laughs> and, uh, he was, my dad was a real student of the game too. I think that was a really big thing was he loved the detail of basketball he loved like the art form of what basketball is basketball gave him a lot he loved didn't just love playing the game he loved the strategy of the game he loved um a lot of the inner details of like what are the like the game within the game basketball is a game a bunch of games within one very large game Um, i've always said that it is the most complex simple sport on the planet because you know there's defensive schemes there's offensive schemes in which you're setting screens and rolling but in order for those things to work and for all these things to to happen everyone has to do their job well and it's it takes five uh guys or girls to work as one 
to meet, reach one common uh, objective. And he really instilled that in me uh, when I was really young too. And I just kind of fell in love with the game that way. Started watching basketball when I was really, really young too. Um, I think I remember the first Final Four, the 2002 Final Four, where Maryland ended up beating Indiana in the national title game. That I was watching that with my dad, and he was just like, just the way he would get excited about two teams he didn't care for was <laughs> uh, was contagious. And I, I I picked it up at that at age two, and I really just ran with it, and um, I really fell in love with uh, the game too. And it provided me a lot of the same things that it provided him when he was young: uh, a sanctuary, something to to really pour yourself into, even when life around you isn't uh, isn't ideal. So. That's kind of mostly where that comes from, was my dad being who he was. So what's your first memory of organized ball then? You mentioned playing for him, you know, mm-hmm. in the rec leagues. What's your first memory of organized ball then? Oh, I made my first basketball team. So this has been the third grade since so 2003. I made my first first basketball team, uh, the elementary school B team at York Elementary <laughs> in Jamestown. And, man, I remember going to tryouts. And, of course, most kids that try out make it. I mean, it's not a very big school. There's an A team and B team. The A team was always the fourth graders. The B team was always the third graders. And I remember trying out or whatever and then going to school the next day after tryouts. It was like a Thursday or Friday. And they had the bulletin board up by the cafeteria. And they would say who was on each team. And I remember seeing my name on that. And I remember when my mom picked me up from school that day telling her that I made the team. I was really excited. And uh, I think that was it. My first main one was – was being like a third grader. So I might have been like, what, eight years old? But like the excitement of getting to be on a team. At that point, I've been watching basketball for about three years. I love basketball. I played outside of my dad all the time. And I, now I finally get to have a uniform. I get to have a jersey. I finally get to play games uh, in front of people and <laughs> against kids my age. I'm not just playing, you know, yeah. uh, pig or horse with my dad in the front yard. So that was uh, that was really, really exciting. And I remember – getting really pumped for that game. And I remember my first game and I was so excited just to inbound the ball. My job was to inbound the ball and I run down the other end of the floor. And if I got the ball or not, I really didn't care. I got to run. I got to, mm-hmm. I mean, even if I caught the ball, I'd get really nervous. Like you see those really weird minute details of like your first organized basketball game yeah. are always so weird, especially when you start playing it at a higher level. Mm-hmm. You're mind blown about what are you going to do with the ball when the ball's in your hand? <laughs> you know, or just getting excited to be able to touch the ball as you're inbounding it, you know, uh, which is a totally like mindless part of the game. One of the mindless parts of basketball uh, was, was really, really neat. That's one of the first things that my mind takes me when I think of my, my first basketball memories, my first organized basketball game and my first basket too. I do remember my first basket. It was like two games later um, at Pine Haven elementary, my third grade year late in the game, I don't even remember how I got the ball, but I got it like the top of the key. Just took like two dribbles and it was around like the elbow, which mm. when you're uh, an eighth grade, not eighth grade, eight year old, that, I mean, that feels like you're shooting it from 30 feet out. <laughs> I mean, I just, I put all my body weight into it and I, I chucked <laughs> that thing up there and I remember banking it in. And I just remember that little section of the, uh, uh, the crowd, which my grandparents didn't get to come into a lot of my games. The older they got, they've had a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school and even middle school, they were never really able to go, but they were able to go to this. And I remember my grandfather telling me before the game, he said, you'll get a dollar. I'll give you a dollar for every point you score. <laughs> and I remember hit, I banked that, bank that shot in. And as I'm running down the floor, I throw my arms up and I can hear my parents, my grandparents like cheering or whatever. And the first thing I thought of was 
that's $2 right there. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with these $2 I just earned? Which, I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, if this was NCAA, I would have broken so many rules on that one. But, uh, <laughs> hey, man, as an, as an eight-year-old, $2 was a lot of money. That was, that was some coin. And then I had a free throw later in the game. I had three points in that game. And I remember I, the first thing I did, I went to my grandfather and said, Paul, you owe me $3. That's $3. Before we talked about anything else, so. Yeah, my was secondary to that, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like defense and nothing. Like I mean, I was I was sh- uh, shot hunting, and I was I mean I was trying to get that money too, and I was able to earn dollars <laughs> that night. Uh, so that was uh, when it comes to like my earliest organized basketball memories. Those are the ones that really stand out the most. So you mentioned your your dad beating you in horse. I'm assuming he never let you win any of those games. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> you earned every point, didn't you? <laughs> I had I had to earn it. I had to learn how to shoot a bank shot. I mean, he would and he, like he would at least never you know go out of range. Which, I mean, even even now his his range. I mean, he played center in high school. His range is 16 feet. So whenever I got <laughs> old enough and I started playing high school basketball and I'm shooting three pointers, no one was shooting three pointers when he was in high school because that was before the three point line existed. So he didn't <laughs> have range past like 16 feet. So once I was able to shoot something from like 25, like and I was able to hit those, like it was all over. From that point, he couldn't touch me from there. But when I was young, he definitely made sure to at least keep it within my range, but he'd always shoot bank shots. That was always his thing, was he would always go about eight, ten feet from the rim, and he would shoot bank shots, and he would call it every time. He's like, well, just, <laughs> you're going to have to learn these shots in a game. Sometimes you're going to need that backboard. You can't just go for the front of the rim every time. You're around here. you got to hit the backboard. <laughs> but he would, I always had to uh, always had to learn how to shoot a, a good bank shot. And uh, by the time I was in an eighth grader, I had a killer jump hook and that I just kiss off the glass because my dad just kicked my rear end. Um, so many times uh, playing horse that uh, <laughs> I kind of just learned that organically. See, the funny thing is I remember playing my dad in the driveway and his was always the corner shot, not even threes. It was literally just 15 feet in the corner. Your dad was into advanced analytics. Just, just sunk it every just sunk it every time I could I could be right up on him playing Tony Allen level defense nope <laughs> it's going in every time I was taking that ball at the bottom of the net every time so every let's time. talk about let's talk about as you got into middle school and high school ball uh what what part of your game do you felt like feel like you developed or focused the most on now when I was in about middle school so I, I eventually I played at York Elementary until I moved uh after my seventh grade year and at that point between my sixth and seventh grade years, I hit a growth spurt. I went from about five seven to about six one. You know, I mean, it, like it was a pretty dramatic growth spurt. I was about average height for my age, and then by the time I was in the seventh grade, I was taller than almost everyone. Mm-hmm. So I played a lot of center, and of course, I, my dad definitely instilled the use of the jump hook um, <laughs> in me. And uh, I watched when I was a kid. I used to watch a ton of Tim Duncan. My dad loved watching Tim Duncan. I was a, a lifelong Laker fan, Kobe Bryant fan through and through. My dad would always tell me, he said, if you're going to play your position well, you need to watch Tim Duncan. So I would watch a ton of J- uh, Tim Duncan tape, a lot of how he used his shoulders to square up to the rim or, or be able to fend off uh, players that are your height. I would always play against guys that are a little taller. And to keep your shot from getting blocked, I mean, the thing I would always learn from Tim Duncan is in that jump hook is you use your non-shooting shoulder to your advantage. And you use that non-shooting hand to your advantage. You can propel the ball up, but also keep it from getting blocked by keeping the defender at bay by just putting it up. The only way they're able to block your shot is by fouling you. And I use that to my advantage a lot. When I finally started by being able to score the ball a little bit, as a middle schooler, that was always like the biggest thing was if I want to catch the ball in the post and I want to pound the air out of the ball until I'm ready to shoot a jump hook, like 
always the, the Tim Duncan method of, of going up like that, using the backboard, using your offhand to protect your, your shooting hand and make sure the only way you're getting your shot blocked is to get fouled. So that was something that I always, always really wanted to, to mimic at that point in my career. And then once I got to move to Cookville, went to Avery Trace Middle School, there were other kids that were 6'1", 6'2". <laughs> uh, I was not, no longer the tallest kid on the team. I'm at a much bigger school, yeah. and I could not get on the floor. I barely played my eighth grade year because I played behind three other centers that were at least my height. I was the third tallest kid on that team. And at that point, too, I'm still maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. Like, I just got pushed around. It was a whole different ball game after that. Um, even though I could still maybe hit the occasional jump hook, there was still – I had to learn things like how to handle the ball. Uh, if I want to play at the high school level, I need to learn how to play a guard spot or at least play the forward spot. I need to learn how to screen better. I need to learn how to guard people that are smaller than me because I need to move to a position in which I might be a little taller than those people and maybe a little slower footed. So I had to find to learn defensive technique. I had to learn defensive scheme. I had to learn a bunch of different things that would, when I was playing at a smaller school with kids that weren't as big as I was or as tall as I was, I don't say big, as, as tall as I was, I didn't have to learn because I could rely so much on my height and uh, uh, rely on a lot of the God-given ability that I had. I didn't have to learn scheme. I didn't have to learn plays. I didn't learn how to get myself open. I could get myself on the floor, and I was going to play on the team regardless because of the natural ability I had and my height, whereas when I moved uh, to Cookville, I had to be able to learn these things if I just wanted to play. So eighth grade was a, a wake-up call that I need to learn how to handle the ball. I need to learn how to play defense, and I need to learn how to be able to shoot outside 16 feet. And that took a lot longer. I wasn't able to master my three-point shot until my, about my senior year. But once I did, I was able to at least be enough or good enough to keep me on the floor um, to where I was able to bring something to the table other than how high my head is from the, the floor. <laughs> so there's one thing I want to get into with you here because I think that a lot of people here changing positions when you go play from playing center to playing, you know, maybe power forward or having to learn a wing spot like shooting guard or small forward – there's a lot more that goes into that than just, you know, being out there with four other guys on the floor, just running plays. You have to learn a whole new position there. Oh, you do. I mean, you, especially when you get into high school, you get in the more, con, uh, the more like complex conceptual stuff. You need to know, like there's more than to the play itself. Like there's, yes, you need to remember the play and you learn the play, which is always hard enough for me to begin with. But there's the, there's the things like how to run off screens, how to read screens, how to be able to set a good screen. And if you need to break out of the play, how to properly do it without messing up the entire flow of the offense. It's like reading. Um, it's like going from reading Dr. Seuss books to graduating to reading maybe the Harry Potter books. And by the time you're in high school, like you're, you're reading Moby Dick and you're starting <laughs> to read, you know, more, more complex stuff. Uh, there's, there's more layers to what you're supposed to be reading. And then uh, basketball is the same way. There's more like you eventually get to the point where, you are learning why you do things. It's that the one thing that really helped me the most is when I got into high school, when the game did start moving faster, there were layers to the game was having a coach like coach Josh Hurd, who's mm -hmm. coach at Cookville high school. Now was asking him the amount of questions I did help me learn. And of course you'll he, learn something from him just hearing him talk. But oh, yeah. the thing that helped me the most was just asking questions on why we're doing these certain things and always explain why we're doing these certain concepts or if this happens uh, in this defensive scheme or one, three, one, where do I have to be and what passes do I look for? It's eventually you start learning how to ask the right questions 
that eventually layered on to my understanding of the game. And like now, like the thing with basketball, basketball is like life in so many different ways. And I mean, I could talk your off and we could really <laughs> make this thing like a three hour uh, Lincoln-esque monologue about just like what you can learn from you know, basketball um, and applying it to life. But, but one of those things is you're never going to know enough about it. Like, I mean, I, 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 I think I'm a very well-versed basketball mind. I'm still learning stuff uh, about different concepts. The game evolves year by year. You kind of have to go with it too, to be able to understand why people and teams and coaches are doing things the way they do. And a good place to learn that is at the high school level where you are introduced to a whole new world of basketball and then realizing you're never going to know as much as you, you need to. And to always lean on those type of basketball minds like Coach Hurd was. Coach Hurd played at Tennessee Tech. Um, he played in NBA training camps. Like he's been around some really good basketball. He's been coached by really good basketball minds. And being able to absorb that kind of stuff I still use today. I mean, my whole understanding of defensive concepts to this day, when I talk about it on the radio at 1025 The Game, a lot of that kind of stuff I'm still using because of the memories that I have from learning how to play defense under Coach Hurd's system. Uh, when he was the assistant coach for our varsity team, he, had, uh, he was very hands-on on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned a lot of that. And just asking questions really helped me at that age. And not just so I could learn it, so the coach knows that you want to learn it. And if there's uh, any advice you can give to athletes that are there now, it's like, ask questions so you can understand them, because obviously you need to be the one that understands it, but also that your coach knows that, hey, like I'm asking these questions because I want to be able to be a smarter basketball player. And it's learning those, and the best way to learn those is obviously by being in those practices and just showing up and just showing it like a commitment to to want to round out your game like that. And I know I've kind of strayed away from your original question. But <laughs> that's uh, like that. It really is the biggest difference between playing in middle school and playing in high school is eventually your understanding of the game has to get a lot sharper. It's no longer just getting a feel for it. Uh, there's more structure, but with that structure comes a lot more responsibility and an onus on you to be a better basketball player mentally uh, not just be a better basketball player physically than the person across from you. So I want to talk about your coaches, but the first thing, because I'm interested to hear it, I want to hear you describe Josh Hurd in like oh, a couple yeah. sentences. Because the way that I would always say is that he's the type of coach that I feel like tells us guys, there are going to be teams that are more athletic than us. Mm -hmm. There are going to be teams that have more experience than us. There's not going to be a single team that outworks us on the floor. That's yep. what I've always I've, – I've seen from watching him his first two years here at Cookville. How would you describe him as someone that you actually played for him? Um, if I was going to do one word, it would be intense. He is an intense man. <laughs> yep. um, he is a very serious man. But he, like, uh, to FCC proof this, he won't BS you. Mm -hmm. he, he won't. I mean, Coach Hurd will, he will never lie to you uh, in terms of what your abilities are. But at the same time, that alone, his honesty, and, and it can be brutal honesty sometimes too. I mean, there, I've been in some locker rooms uh, where he has said some things that I cannot repeat these if we want to be able to air this interview. But <laughs> like he, but, and he does all that because he wants you to fully understand what your abilities are, what your role is on the team. And it help, the, that honesty with you helps you for whenever he brags on you or whenever he tells you he believes in you. Um, the one thing that helped me, because I got discouraged a lot in my high school basketball career. My sophomore year, didn't get on the floor, a really deep team. I was the ninth, 10th man on that team. I'm, I'm coming in playing garbage time minutes whenever that's available. 
Well, my junior year, I have the opportunity to actually break into the rotation and start getting minutes, getting valuable minutes, and being able to actually play. And there were some times where I didn't play a lot and where I thought I should be playing a lot more. And, but what really helped to keep me from just being like, you know, ah, you know, forget this, like um, maybe basketball is not for me. As Coach heard after practice saying, he's like, I know how good of a basketball player you are, but you need to do these certain things. And because when coming from him, it, knew, it made me know that he cared about me enough as a basketball player to want to get me in the lineup because he sees something. And he wouldn't tell me that if he didn't believe it. I've heard him tell kids that if they're not good enough, they're not good enough. They're not going to be on the team. Um, <laughs> after day one of tryouts, tell them they might not have to come back for day two. Um, he, there is a, a, a hardcore honesty to him that you really appreciate as a player because you always know where you stand with him. And whenever he tells you he believes in you, He's not messing with you to try to get something out of you that you don't think is there. He's telling you that because he knows something's there. He knows he's new. He knows it's there and he knows that you can win with it. So he, in that aspect is always, I think what I've admired about him most. Um, he's great in attention to detail. I think I've learned, like I said, more about basketball by watching film of us playing with coach hurt in the room. He might rip you. He might roast you, but the thing you need to hear is what he's going to tell you. And he's going to tell you what you can do to fix. He doesn't just do it. Like there are coaches out there who will just who will rip you in film session. And, and I mean, just to like, I don't want to say to degrade, but like coach Trevor will say, like he, like he can get intense, but at the same time, like he tells you where you need to fix it. He's very detail oriented with where you need to fix these things. And like, as a player, it really does help a lot. And of course, like there's not a coach. I'm not convinced there's a high school coach on the planet that'll get you more fired up for a basketball game than that man he is a, he is also a master motivator not a lot of coaches are good at the x's and o's and the motivation um combination that makes really good coaches but coach hurt has both of those he's got a great basketball mind um he is he's the best defensive basketball coach i've ever played for uh like to this day and i still talk to college basketball coaches now mm-hmm. i talk to college basketball players and they tell me about you know things that go on um, with their coaches. And so I've been able to dig more into how coaches tick and a lot of defensive philosophies, but no one has ever made more sense to me than my uh, high school assistant coach, coach Josh Hurd. And that's what makes him so good now. I mean, you're going to play against the Josh Hurd coach team, like prepare to be, get worked physically. Um, they're going to, they're going to try to be more physical than you and they're going to D you up. I will, I, don't think I'll ever see a day that I will watch a Josh Hurd coach basketball team and say, that's a bad defensive team. And if it is, it's not because of effort. He's not going to play yet if, if it, it's an effort <laughs> thing, you know? So that's the, the one thing about coach Hurd too, is he understands really, really well the emotional player aspect and what your needs are emotionally as a player, as well as what your needs are physically. And to be able to combine those two is what makes him a good coach. And, uh, the fact that they've been successful in his time as a head coach does not surprise me one bit. And there are high, there are high expectations, and I think I think that's a team that's primed for a big run this year. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll say that here. I think that Cookville team this mm-hmm. year is going to be really really tough. Um, I have to ask: Does it make you feel old to know that right now his son is currently a sophomore? Does it, <laughs> does it make you as old as I feel? As old as I feel? Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, it makes me feel ancient. <laughs> like, and at the age of twenty-six, I shouldn't refer to myself as ancient <laughs> in any way, shape, or form because it's a, it comes off as a little tone deaf. But it is really, really weird to think of uh, uh, his oldest being that age, a sophomore in high school. It's that is definitely weird because I mean they would be at our games when we played. Um, back in 2011, 12, 13, 
they were always running around. Uh, they were at <laughs> practices. It'd be funny because I remember like my, because he was the coach of the freshman team when uh, the school's big enough and where the district we play in is big enough to where there's obviously the varsity team, but like each school has a freshman only team. And our freshman only team, you know, coached by Coach Hurd, he'd be running practices and you could hear his, uh, you hear both of his, uh, his sons uh, running around screaming, throwing basketballs against the wall. He'd stop practice to yell at him and it'd always be the funniest thing. Um, and they're, they're, uh, really funny little boys and uh man a lot a lot I definitely remember them being that young just running around there but that's I can only imagine what their basketball mind if they want to play be basketball players the resource they have with their dad but also by being able to go to these games and being in basketball settings for as long as they are they're 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 in pretty good shape but I mean man it <laughs> definitely like knowing how young they were then when I played it's crazy right it blows my mind like obviously it shouldn't blow my mind like that's life you get older when days go by but it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't prepare you to see them as uh as uh teenagers and eventually grown men one thing that's always stuck out to me about coach Hart, and this is where we'll transition to talking about him a little bit more talking mm -hmm. about other coaches that you had that made an impact i can on talk you. about coach Hart all day it, he's, it's he's awesome, <laughs> it seems like he, he genuinely cares about his players too and i feel mm -hmm. like that that yeah. that's that's the difference between great teams and good teams that you know, good teams have the X's and O's, you know, as you mentioned. But I feel like great teams also have that relationship with their coach to where their coach is there for them as a human being as well as an athlete. Uh, oh, absolutely. Talk about, talk about how important that is when you're in your mind, just from your experience. And talk about some of the other coaches that also made impacts on you. Yeah, the thing, ugh, Coach Hurd is, is really, really good, especially when you're having a bad game. Like, Coach Hurd, like, I mean, I've been, I've definitely been chewed out by Coach Hurd before by making like dumb plays or having some like mental lapses, but like he can tell he's a, he's really good at reading the body language too. And if you need to hear something that's going to get your head out of your rear end, he's going to tell you that. And he's really good at telling you that too. And it, it takes me back to my point as well, that like, he's always so honest with you that when he tells you, Hey, this, what you got going on right now is between the ears. You can, you can get that taken care of. You're going to be on the floor and you're going to be helping this team because you have a lot of ability makes you feel like he's being genuine. And it makes you feel like you have a lot more ability, maybe sometimes than you do. But um, that's one thing I've always admired about Coach Hurd is his ability to do that um, and his ability to keep your head in the game, keep yourself invested in it. Sometimes when you're beating a team that is obviously inferior, inferior to you athletically, he won't let you put the brakes on. He will be hard on you in the third quarter of a game which you're up 25 because he knows you're, you're uh, slowing down. He knows you take your foot off the gas, and he won't let you do that. Um, and that's something that avoids a lot of upsets. I don't think there's going to be a lot of coach herd coach teams that are going to lose to teams they're not supposed to lose to because he keeps you mentally invested in that way. And Coach Hurd, and I haven't talked a lot of Coach Hurd, but Coach Bray was pretty good um, about that too. And they were definitely – there was a little bit of a – um, a yin-yang kind of thing with, with them too. Coach Bray, who I think is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he is on, a, on the staff in Jackson County. I don't know if he is now. I'm not sure, 100% sure, but I, I, I feel like I've heard that same thing yeah. with Kevin Thomas. I feel like I've, he's over there coaching with Coach Thomas maybe. I feel mm -hmm. like I've heard that same thing, maybe. And, and the thing with Coach Bray is Coach Bray was a little older, Kevin Bray. Um, Kevin Bray was a, was a little older um, uh, of a head coach and he and he, there's an age gap between him and Coach Hurd too. And Coach Bray was good with the X's and O's, but he just didn't relate to the players like Coach Hurd did. Like Coach Hurd was still like he's not 
I can't remember how old he was, but I don't even think he was 40 yet. But like when we were playing varsity basketball, Coach Herb would go up there and practice with us. <laughs> I mean, he'd practice with us and still work us. I mean, still like if he wants to post you up, he's going to post you up. And he's still in great athletic shape. And That's one of the most fit high school coaches in any sport I've ever seen. I will and that say. you will ever see. Yeah, yes. he still keeps yes. himself in great shape. And I mean, he practiced against us. He'd work us. Uh, especially whenever when you're starting on varsity and you're doing these varsity practices and you're playing against the JV team and inter-squad scrimmages and then Coach Hurd comes out here, takes off the short river, he's got the wife beater on and the, the long baggy shorts and you know you're in for a long day. This isn't going to be a normal <laughs> practice because Coach Hurd's about to drop 20 in this, uh, in this scrimmage here um, and get other people involved. I mean, you can still play to, to that day. It was uh, that, like, so there was a, they worked well in that regard, I always thought. Um, and they were, were pretty good, um, pretty good influences too. But uh, man, I'm trying to think of other, of other coaches that I've had. Um, my first coach, Josh Schott, who I think ended up coaching the York women's team for a while. I don't know if he still is there now. Michael Green is the coach there currently. He coached, he, coached at, he coached at one of the middle schools there in, uh, in Jamestown. But Michael Green is the current coach right now. Okay. Yeah. Michael Schott was uh, – he was one of those guys too. Like he, the thing with Coach Shout too, is his he had an enthusiasm for basketball that was just really cool. Like he was a cool mm-hmm. guy, even as like a ten year old, to talk mm-hmm. basketball with. He would he would talk shop with you, you know, even if you're a, um, a little younger. And it, it that enthusiasm, he, he he treated you like a high school player. You know, he he wasn't going to to baby talk you. He's going to treat you like a high school player and treat it like like it was serious business. I mean. I remember one of my favorite wins of my career as a fifth grader uh, on the fifth and sixth grade York elementary basketball team. He won the county championship 41-40 against Pine Haven. And it was a thrilling game. That Pine Haven team beat us twice in the regular season, our third time playing them. We won the county championship or whatever. And that man was so pumped for a bunch of 10 and 11-year-olds to win a county championship that it was just contagious. It was a big deal to him. He wanted to win as bad as we did. And like his enthusiasm for the game of basketball made it fun to go to practice. And, you know, like uh, having practices after school when you're really young, it's uh, you're, you're mentally drained from the day of, of school. So sometimes there's days like, oh, I kind of want to practice today. Well, coach show, like it was always like, it was enjoyable to do practice. He did your drills, did your scrimmages, but he did have an enthusiasm for the game that if you're going to coach at that level, at that age level, is the number one thing like you're, you're playing for fun you're playing to learn the game you're playing because you're curious and you have fun playing and we'll see where where basketball takes you you know down the road but it was really vital to be able to play with someone that had that kind of enthusiasm um mm-hmm. to play so when i really think of like old basketball coaches that i've had personally that i played for it really goes back to those two guys specifically mm-hmm. so Playing at Cookville, I have to ask because I'm sure you've got a couple really, really good stories here. What What is your best? And maybe it happened during your senior year, maybe it didn't. What are some of your best memories of Cookville Sparta? Oh man, see, oh, my favorite part about that was that Sparta was really, really good too. And there was like this mutual respect. The schools, like obviously, you know, bleep and hate each other. Like they, I mean, they there's a lot of animosity towards the kids that go to those two schools and the proximity between them and like. I mean, it was funny because you, had, you would have friends that would go to Sparta. You know, if you were going to Cookville, some people that were in Sparta had friends that went to Cookville. Mm-hmm. I, when, I, when I was a junior, I dated a White County cheerleader. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, 
there's a lot of interlap between friend groups, social groups, because the schools mm-hmm. are so close. Um, but the, the fun, like my, my favorite story what would be my favorite. My favorite would be one of them was my sophomore year, even though I didn't play in the game, beating them in, I think it was double overtime in the district championship. Wow. To, uh, yeah, to, to win the district title. And that was a thrilling game. That was, a, that was an all-time great game. I think Philip Roper, our point guard, if I remember correctly, my memory might be a little fuzzy. I mean, this game took place, oh, man, this game took place uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, no, 11 years ago. Uh, this February would have been when that game took place. But Philip Roper hit, I mean, he hit a big shot late in that game, and uh, we end up winning. And that, that year in the regular season, we exchanged butt whippings. Like, we beat them at home really good, and they beat us like a drum at Sparta. And that happened our, our senior year, too. Our senior year, like, man, so the worst game I think we've ever played was at Sparta my senior year. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that gym, too, where it's so small. Like Cookville's is so big. It's one of the largest yes. gyms in the state. It is massive. The depth perception difference between those two, like in Cookville, you're in this big gym. The goals come up from the ground. Like they're raisable goals. Um, and behind that, you have all of this space because there's no seats. Yep. It's just one big wall with, you know, the, that walkway. So there's maybe people standing there making yeah, yeah, yeah. The depth perception between that and a small school or small gym like Sparta's that's so compact, there is the goals are coming down from the ceiling, which does make a little bit of a difference if you're shooting from like straight away. Like anyone that's played basketball at that kind of level will tell you there is definitely a little bit of an, uh, a depth perception difference. So we always shot the ball really well when we played Sparta at home, and we never shot the ball outside from the outside well when we played at Sparta. It is two vastly different gyms. You are right there. Completely different gyms. And theirs, I felt, just got so much louder because they would pack it, and every time they hit a three, it was deafening noise, too. Mm-hmm. And that was really the only only gym that I remember in high school that had a just distinct home court advantage that was real. I mean, obviously, you play in some gyms. Like, Cumberland County always had decent crowds, but I never really felt like playing them at Cumberland County was any different than playing them at Cookville. Yeah. So, all the other schools in the district, like Warren County, um, you know, uh, Coffee County especially. Um Mm. I mean, there were times like we play games there and there's almost like nobody there. Um, and, they're, <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and of course in Tennessee high school basketball, like mm-hmm. it's not what football is. Yeah. So like, unless it's a rivalry game, it's not like you're going to pack the place out. And of course, Sparta always packed it when we came to town. But the best part was that we were both really, really good teams. And we were always, in my opinion, uh, Cumberland County, our senior year, obviously, because Cumberland County won the district that year. Cumberland County was really, really good. And they had a really, really good team as well. But the fact that the two, the two best teams you could almost flip a coin every year as to who's going to win it was Cookville and Sparta. So us being as good as we were, uh, not winning anything fewer than 27 games my time there, and Sparta having the team they did uh, with a senior class like Devin Davidson, who was an incredible athlete, um, and A.J. Wilkerson and Kane Young, who were incredible three-point shooters. And, of course, like – you don't realize – and the, the game of basketball has just changed drastically uh, since 2010, 2011, 2012. <laughs> but those guys could shoot the lights out. And you don't realize the value of playing against a team that can shoot the three ball like that until you, sh- you play one like them and they're at home and they're comfortable and they're hitting everything that's going in. And ball's tipped and you blink and next thing you know, you're down 15 going into half and you're having to dig yourself out of a hole that's insurmountable because they just can't miss. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always my, the things I remembered most um, from playing Sparta. I think I had about eight points in the game at home. We beat them my senior year. I think we beat them by almost 30 my senior yeah. year. I remember getting pulled from the game with our JV players coming in for garbage time, and we were up about 25 some odd points. I think it's it 73 to 46. And it was one of those two where our really big gym is the fullest I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, you, you, of course, you know, at Cookville High School, they have like that second layer. Oh, yeah. Second, uh, level of the arena. Yeah. That sometimes the bleachers are pulled out for, you know, and they pulled out blo- both ends of the bleachers and the place is just full. It's the loudest I ever heard it. It was the most emotionally charged for regular season basketball game I ever got in high school. And it was just one of those games that wasn't close from the beginning. I mean, we executed really well. They didn't shoot the ball really well because there is that, that difference. And we, like I said, I, I don't want us to be like, oh, they were terrible. They played terrible because we did the same thing there. But like we got comfortable. We were hitting a lot of shots. We, I thought we game planned really well. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that the, one of the coolest feelings in organized team sports is when you feel like you know them better than they know them. Yep. I mean, we were able to play a one three one that trapped them and put them in awkward positions. Even though they were a good three point shooting team, we knew they didn't shoot well in our arena. So we gave up three point shots to some of them. We we did a lot of strategic different uh, different strategic things that made us feel confident going into the game that we were really prepared. Mm-hmm. So whenever you get to actually put that game plan into motion and lay the lumber on a team that you despise. <laughs> uh, the group of people that at the time, uh, like a, a county of people that you despise um, in that kind of competition feels really, really good. Um, so that was probably my favorite one. But that was that's a, a very underrated rivalry. Um, and it works really well in both teams are incredible, and both teams are really, really good. I definitely, if I wasn't even playing in those games, I would have enjoyed watching them because they had a lot of great players. We had a lot of great players and the atmosphere never failed every time we played. Every year I've covered sports here and I've spoken to the coaches, whether it's coach Mitchell over at Sparta or coach Mm -hmm. Hurd, you know, one thing they always say is it's that kind of rivalry where you cannot look at the records. You you know, it's going to be a dog fight. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have to earn every point you get. And I think that's why, what makes it a great rivalry is that, you know, two years ago, you know, Hard's first year here, he had a he had a solid team. Mm-hmm. Now you go over to White County and they've got Grant Slatton. And they've got right. one, play. Yeah, one of the play. greatest players that will ever come mm-hmm. through this area. And it felt like White County should win should win both games, you know, relatively handily. But in both games, I'm pretty sure both games were, you know, six, seven point games and Cookville's right there in both of them with, you know, if they hit a couple more shots, they win those games. Mm-hmm. It's a, the rivalry. It's an incredible rivalry and you're right that it doesn't get enough coverage, but uh, looking past, you know, your playing days, uh, I have to ask what, what was your interest at some point or where did the interest develop for you to get into media? Uh, you know, something to potentially do for a job uh, beyond high school, beyond college. Uh, it was when I was in between, uh, between schools, basically. I, I went to Tennessee Tech for a little bit, didn't do great academically, and kind of took some time off and moved back in with my dad. And we were watching basketball, and I was kind of like had my laptop out. And I'm still trying to like, while I'm there, I'm working as a teacher's aide in Jamestown. And I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of different things that I can do moving forward. Like I obviously didn't want to do this forever. Um, and I eventually had to go back. I told myself I had to go back for something. 
And I picked up the hobby of sports blogging. I had my own blog on sportsblog.com, which is a website that is no longer in use. Uh, <laughs> you cannot find it if you tried. It has been completely wiped off the internet. And a lot of these really average, like just really average opinion pieces of basketball that I would come up with, you know, are now completely erased from memory, which might not be the worst thing in the world, but because it was obviously not your best work when you're first trying, but it made me be like, man, like how cool would it be to go to these games talk to athletes, be able to come up with angles and cover it the way I see on ESPN. Um, back, back then, I used to love listening to the Dan Patrick show and Dan Levitard's radio show. And I was like, man, like these guys are in tune, you know, and how cool would it be to have a job where you talk about sports and break it down and talk with athletes and like get to live the life of someone that's entrenched in the sports you love and for me that's college basketball the nba and i love the nfl i've really enjoyed getting to be in a market where we get to talk about the titans and the nashville predators uh, in a pro sports market all the time and it's really cool to get to be on the radio when college basketball comes on um, and get to talk about the you know the thing i know best and it was one of those things too where you pursue something that you're always going to have interest in i could be an accountant and be interested in keep bookkeeping for two or three years, but I would eventually get really burned out. I can be a teacher and be interested in the thing I'm teaching in and eventually get really burned out. There's a lot of different things I, I thought about doing. Um, I could work in sales and it could be fun for a little bit, especially for making money, but it's, it'd be really easy to get burned out for me because I'm one of those people that I, I, uh, I can't do something that I'm not that interested in. Uh, so if I lose interest, uh, I'm out. And the one thing in my life that's been a constant in terms of things that I've kept a lot of interest in is basketball. It's sports. You know, it's what I, it's the thing I know the most about. It's the thing that that uh, that can motivate me to really actually succeed in something to like push me to places I never thought I could go. And I don't know if I could do this with anything else. And I really had a, a kind of a come to Jesus moment or an epiphany <laughs> well, that like, if I'm going to be able to want to do a lot of really cool things and be able to enjoy them for a long time, I need to do it by doing something that I have always loved doing and that I know that I'm going to love. So I kind of went to it from there and um, eventually ended up getting into MTSU. And then that's, of course, obviously we met there. We did student media. And um, the more student media you do, the more you kind of get immersed oh, yeah. into it. And I got really lucky to be able to get an internship at 1025 The Game and be able to make some really good connections there to by the point that I graduated, um, they trusted me enough to be able to produce their midday show, which I'm, I'm still doing now and still be able to contribute to SEC football coverage, college basketball coverage, um, and even work with the National Predators Radio Network. And I've been really, really lucky to be able to get a start uh, in a market like Nashville in a, at a place like that. So really a lot of it just came from enthusiasm telling myself to stick to what I know best and stick to the things that are going to um, amuse me and uh, keep me motivated for longer than anything else would so this, this is a little this is a little bit of a personal anecdote I want to see I'm going to test your memory here do you remember <laughs> I, I am 99% sure that this is what it was but do you remember the very first thing I ever said to you the very first thing I know because you were the sports editor at yeah, Sidelines, Sidelines, yeah. Sidelines, shout out. Um, we would have been, man, I don't know if I remember specifically. I'll give you a hint. This was right after. So you've got really long hair now. You had really long hair when you oh, first yeah. started doing this. This was right after you cut your oh, hair. Yeah. 
oh, right after I cut my hair. You said I looked like somebody. Yep. Oh, who? Oh my God, who was it? Oh, so, so this is when I told you that because because you and um, Seth Davis. Yeah, there it was. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. You now. and Kevin had that um that March Madness segment you guys did you know at the yep. end of the shows. And I don't know why, because I was running the teleprompter doing, you know, the most unimportant thing in the world. And okay, that's important stuff. They, like, the teleprompter, if the, tele, if the teleprompter man is off base <laughs> with the, uh, the person that's reading it, the talent that's reading it, you have yourself a, a disaster um, going on. Yeah. But, but I remember just sitting there, I remember sitting there watching it going, wow, I feel like I'm listening to Seth Davis. Cause it just, it sounded, and you looked like you look, obviously you're not twins, but it, you look uh, like a younger version of Seth Davis. And I was like, I feel like I should tell him that. I don't know what what, what oh, I was pumped. Yeah, he I, don't told know, I was pumped. I don't know what what act of God moved me enough to, to <laughs> tell you that, but I, I always thought that, that was the funniest thing. That was that was the first thing that he was not. Hey, I'm Rusty. Not hey, how's it going? Not anything like that. It was man, you anyone ever tell you you look like a young Seth Davis? I was pumped. <laughs> I remember being pumped. I was like, all right, if that's if that's the thing that I'm hearing coming right. off the set. Then, uh, then I guess, yeah, I guess I've, uh, I've found something that I, I don't sound like an idiot talking about, which is uh, pretty important. I was pumped, not gonna lie. That was, a, that was a very well working compliment. So one thing you always said that stuck out to me whenever we were working together, whether it was with sidelines, NSEN, what have you, was that as good as you were on in terms of you know TV broadcast, and you were very talented. You were one of the best that I think that program will ever see. Uh, you always said that you were more interested or you felt like long-term that you would fit more in either print or radio. And obviously, I mean, that's come to fruition with the radio part of it. You're up, but, but why, why did you feel that way? Um, I thought that's just where I was more comfortable. Uh, the setting, especially like TV is cool. Um, it's cool to see yourself on TV. It's cool to be able to say you're on TV. Um, but there was more technical work that I wasn't very good at. I'm not good at shooting video. <laughs> and the least I'm not very good at editing video or doing like cool edit, uh, video editing tricks. It just wasn't my strength. Um, it's also a little more buttoned up. I really enjoy working in radio to where I can wear a t-shirt and shorts, you know, to work. I mean, during the pandemic too, when there was no one in, it's funny when we were doing shows in the pandemic, uh, like when everything was more shut down, we didn't have anybody in the office in terms of like sales staff or general manager or program director. The only people in the building were board operators, producers, people that were working on the live shows that like physically had to be in the building um, to be able to make things go. And I'd go in there wearing pajama pants and it felt great. <laughs> like the, the casualness of sports talk radio in that aspect, I've always really liked. And I love the, like the podcast medium too. My biggest sports media influencers, guys like Scott Van Pelt. Scott Van Pelt, before he was even on uh, yeah. doing Sports Center nightly, incredible radio host. I mean, amazing radio host. Uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons radio show at night, uh, the nightly ESPN national radio show. I used to listen to all the time when I was a security guard um, at Ascend Amphitheater and Cannery Ballroom. Uh, because they were, they were always the one that was on in my car whenever I'd leave work. And it was always really cool to hear Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons bounce things off each other and be able to compel you to really listen, um, to make you feel like mentally you are engaged in the conversation. And that's a talent that I felt like I, I can contribute to. And I was like, that seems like something uh, or a medium that I really, really enjoyed. Um, the Jason Smith show on Fox sports was one yeah. of those two, like this guy, even though I think some of the stuff he says is a little outlandish in terms of like <laughs> silliness yeah. Um, that was a very well produced show. They do a lot of really good funny drops. 
they do a really good job of incorporating in in time like live sound um, with their radio show too, and it, it enhanced it a little bit. So those were the things that I remember listening to before I got into sports talk radio that I was like, this is a really cool job. Like these guys seem like they have all the fun. And that was really what, <laughs> what drew me to that medium. And then when it comes to print, I've always, there's something about getting your thoughts clarified when you're writing them mm-hmm. on paper. Um, it was really cool. When we were at MTSU, um, we had a lot of access as a newspaper. We got to go to um, practices and you can write stuff about the practices there. Um, you got to write things, you got, you got to go to games and write your recaps on the floor where it's fresh in your mind and you have time to articulate what you really think and what you really mean. And you're able to go back and listen to certain things. And it is a more prepared way of getting my thoughts on paper as well as like getting to report stuff and being in the action. Uh, like uh, to this day, my favorite sports media things is the year that we got to really cover MTSU basketball. Yep. Um, you remember the Nick King All American year? Oh yeah. We had a lot of fun doing that, and I loved loved reporting on that team because it was a fun team to cover. They played in a lot of fun games. It was a legitimate mid major basketball team that was playing at a high level, and it was really cool to not only get to share my thoughts on that and be um, a part of it in terms of writing about these games every night. But it was cool to have that access that even like a newspaper reporter has to be able to go to the press conferences, go to practices, talk to players, talk to coaches. I mean, we learned a lot from getting to talk to Kermit Davis on a daily basis, you know, and obviously uh, knowing what we know about Kermit now helps us understand the things he does at Ole Miss. Oh, 100%. SEC program. Um, And that's helped me with my job now. But being able to have that kind of access then was really attractive in the print media um, category. And that's one of the reasons why I really liked it. So it was mostly, uh, and of course you get the same access with TV too. It's just, I, when I do cover these games, I don't want to go in a suit and tie. <laughs> I couldn't blame you there. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I couldn't blame you there at all. Well, I, we'll, we'll fo- I'll follow up with one more thing before we close this out. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the show you do get to produce today. Talk about what mm-hmm. that's like and what some of your favorite parts of that is. Man, so I'm the uh, executive producer for ESPN 1025 The Game's midday show, Darren Donick and Chase, mm-hmm. uh, and the hosts are Darren McFarland, who does the Predators pregame intermission and postgame shows for the Preds radio network, uh, Willie Donick, who is known for being the National Predators TV play-by-play guy, and Chase McCabe. Chase is a, a newer host. He's a, it's really fun working with Chase because out of those three guys, he's the closest to my age, and he's also yep. <laughs> recently a... A, an executive producer for a couple shows at the station too so it's really cool to have that experience getting to talk to him and getting to learn just the art of radio uh from a guy who's done it on so many different angles and it's a really fun show we do a lot of awesome on-air uh, competitions um if you go on the game which is our website you can participate in things like silly underdog picks which we had today it's every thursday at uh at noon central time uh it's a competition where um, Willie's kind of the commissioner. Darren and Chase are participating alongside Chris Sanders, former Titans wide receiver, and former Browns quarterback and MTSU quarterback and uh, Kelly Holcomb. Yeah. Um, and they they pick a they pick a college and an NFL game. They have to pick an underdog, and the underdog has to win outright. And the amount of points you get if they win is determined by how big of an underdog they are. So, like if um, Kansas State's playing uh, Stanford, and Kansas State's a six point underdog, and Chris Sanders takes Kansas State and Kansas State beats them, he gets six points. 
So it's kind of like that. And they do that all year long. You can play online at thegamenashville.com too. Yeah. And, and if you win, you get prizes and stuff. It's really cool to do that. And of course on Fridays we have pick six and um, you just made the list. A lot of really, we do a lot of cool on air stuff that makes our show incredibly interactive. Uh, talking sports every day is a lot of fun. Getting to be able to help mold the sports conversation in a city like Nashville is a really cool and unique opportunity and being able to live out part of the sports radio dream that I, I, I pursued for a while was, is really, is something that I don't ever want to take for granted. Um, so we have a, a really, a really neat show and I work with a lot of uh, really cool people and it's really cool too, to be able to like, when I first thought I, like I was going into sports media, like I, obviously you don't know exactly where your journey is going to take you, but I like a uh, last week, because or two weeks ago when the Titans and Colts were about to play and it was going to be the Oilers reunion Mm -hmm. uh, there, we were trying to get people on our show who we thought would be good to talk to about that. And I was able to to, uh, get Warren Moon's cell phone number and text back and forth with Warren Moon. And like, (laughs) while I was doing that, I mean, I had to like stop and be like, man, like I am in communication with the first black quarterback to make the NFL hall of fame. And one of the quarterbacks that really the modern NFL game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was really, really cool. And that was a a moment where I was like, man, you know, like this, I I get to work a really neat job. There's not many other people that get to go to work and say they talk with Warren Moon, you know? So there's little moments like that, that really make the, uh, the kid in me still, um, in- incredibly excited, you know, and that's the, that's the most rewarding part about all of it. So to close it out, I close all these the same way. Give some free game real quick to young, the younger generation that maybe wants to get to where you are now or, you know, what have you. And then give some, give, give some advice that you – tell me some advice you'd give to your younger self. So okay, what, what, what would you say? Um, if I could go back and tell myself anything, and this would apply to people that are – playing in high school sports now it's to always keep asking questions uh watch a lot of film and take it seriously i mean um i always took it really seriously in high school but there's always times you know i think back and like man i wish i was more detail oriented the way i am now with my job or the way i am now covering basketball um love the intricate details of the game you know uh always ask questions your coaches are your best resources and you know as a player which coaches know their stuff and which ones might not be able to identify those and be able to be a sponge, ask a lot of questions. Like not everybody gets a a Josh Hurd who had that kind of experience um, as a player to be able to coach you. But if you have that and you have those type of people in in your career in your field or in your life, ask them a ton of questions and there are no dumb questions. Don't be afraid to ask anything um, because there's a lot of wisdom in them. Um, that you're going to be able to use not just as an athlete, but as an adult past your playing career. There's still a lot of things. Um, I know I've talked about a ton in this podcast, but there's a, a lot of things that Coach Hurd would tell me when I was a high school basketball player that has helped me now as an adult and as someone who covers the sport. Um, it's really helped gauge my understanding of it. And just always ask questions because you're never going to know everything you need to know about your topic or your uh, level of, or your topic of expertise. You'll never know everything. And all you can do is read, 
ask questions and just be curious. And that's going to make you better at whatever facet of life um, you want to do. And if you're uh, an athlete and you want to further your career outside of high school sports, uh, just be a student of the game. Always ask questions and be able to get every bit of insight you can, not just about your game and your skills and your, your uh, skill assets, but as a person too. Like, I think that was always a, a big help. I, I got really lucky in that aspect to have a lot of people that really knew their stuff and helped out a ton. Wise, wise words. Well, that was Cookville legend, Elijah Campbell, man. I appreciate you jumping on here with me. Rusty, it's nice to, to catch up with you and talk <laughs> to you, man. Uh, it's been nice to, uh, to be able to talk about uh, some high school basketball, my memories of high school basketball and Nice to see you doing uh, doing your thing here, uh, hanging out in my old uh, my old town, <laughs> my old neck of the woods, and it's really neat to get to catch up with you. You're doing a hell of a job there um, with that group, and you covered that high school spot. I wish you were t uh, ten years older, so the coverage that you give <laughs> these kids now, I could have had when I was in high school. So don't think your work doesn't go appreciated. Well, man, I appreciate the kind words. Y'all been listening to the Legendary One podcast. This is Rusty Ellis.